set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, as also through his Spirit that dwells in you. May this be to us a word of homecoming from the divine. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes and I am glad you're here. Thanks as always to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music. Let's get right down to it. <laughs> this, this passage ticks me off <laughs> like right off the bat. Like, what in the hell is this guy talking about? Talking shit about our flesh. Is he some kind of anti-body, anti-human, anti-materiality, sex-negative turd bucket from Gilead? (laughs) The author of this excerpt is uh, St. Paul, and he's he's Jewish. His name isn't St. Paul. His name is, by birth, Shaul. So I would assume that he would be a good... Jew, which believes in the goodness of creation, but here we are hearing him saying some sharp things using flesh language, (laughs) and that makes me uncomfortable, and it makes me scared. It makes me want to run and not take him seriously, because my tribe of origin often took flesh language and body language to be code for the bad, you know? But he's Jewish, so we know that means his his family story begins with the divine breath of good rippling through the cosmos, coronating and anointing reality as delightful, as delighted in, and finding divine favor. See, his old family story goes that the Creator spoke this word over reality, Tov. And seven times at that, reality is good, reality is Tov. As soon as the divine creates divine names as Tov. (laughs) And we know, we don't have to just know it from the old stories. We know from our own lives the goodness of our bodies. The goodness of being enfleshed, right? The joy of the smell of coffee brewing or bread baking, the taste of a good red wine, or a pepperoni and pineapple pizza, do not judge, (laughs) Uh, the sight of the wide open sky, or a child's gaze, the feeling of a pet's nudge, or a lover's embrace, the sound of a baby's laughter, or Freddie Mercury holding a note. We know that there is a toveness 
to being human. That it's good to be human. It's good to have bodies. It's good to be enfleshed. Deep, uh, the deep within us cries out to the deep of the divine. Tov. 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 Even the restriction of our senses, like in silent, the silence of meditation, has its own sublimity. Even when we learn how to restrict our sensations, it still brims us, brings us to a, a different brim of goodness, of materiality. So what is Paul doing <laughs> contrasting materiality with immateriality in favor of the latter? Why is he focusing on our bodies? It's kind of shitty of him. I mean, it's shitty of him if that's what he's doing. And I, spoiler alert, I hope it's not what he's doing. Yeah, saying that our bodies are bad, ugh. It gets, this idea gets internalized into all kinds of difficult ways. Some religious folks shun bodily delight outright. Their learning to live within limits collapses into asceticism for everyone, a puritanical restriction of suppre and suppression of our fundamental Tovey humanity. It leads them, them to associate sex with badness, or non-goodness anyway. So we carry shame in our bodies because of people hearing Paul in this way. Shame for having desire. Shame for trusting our desires. Shame for enjoying the satisfaction of those desires. Shame for having had sex. Shame for having had sex with the wrong kind of person or at the wrong kind of time. Shame for being a woman. Shame for being a woman with curves. Shame for wearing clothes that accent your body. Shame all the way down. See, once you get... <laughs> body shaming is like a thing that... Uh, some religious systems seem to take as like a deep down truth <laughs> that they're going to like defend. And it makes us hurt ourselves and run away. Doesn't have to though. See, when you make your bodies anti-tove, you make life into a big heap of concealment and shame and sorrow, which isn't the kind of life that Paul is calling us towards. And it's not the kind of story he lives in. So he's got to mean something else, right? So there's, when he talks about flesh versus spirits, see that, so there's been a few traditions of how folks try to make some sense out of what he's talking about. He's, here's, this podcast episode is going to be me uh, trying to share with you how I make sense of it and find some home coming to it. I'm going to spare you a lot of the footnotes uh, and I'm just, I'm just going to ride the rails. Of prior assumptions, pretty hard here. So, strap in. Uh, Paul believes what we uh, that we become like what we adore. We become what we love. We become what we worship. Our worship takes on flesh. Our fixations form us. We reflect what we revere. If your fixation and your reverence is in a vision of the divine that's hierarchical and top-down and Zeus-like and throwing lightning bolts at things and responds to the slightest of slights with violence, 
You're going to become more and more like that. Bent and formed out of fear and hierarchy. Caught up in the games of win, lose, top, bottom, reward, punishment. Or maybe your fixation and your reverence is towards your culture or your nation or your particular religious corner or your ethnicity or your sexuality or your gender. You're going to ascribe irrational worth to them to the exclusion of others. If your reverence is to the crucified one, hopefully, your life slowly begins to reflect his life of mercy, justice, rest, inclusion, prayer, and love. It's why Paul writes elsewhere to focus on whatever is commendable, lovely, good, true, beautiful. We resonate what we revere, right? Center yourself on goodness, and goodness centers itself in you. And interestingly there, um, to Paul, what matters isn't only whatever sits on top of your pyramid. So you don't only have to be focusing on a Bible verse <laughs> or Jesus stories. No. Um, it's not just about what your object of highest worship is, because reality isn't a pyramid, it's a circle. No, life and death can seep into your soul through all kinds of things. The divine doesn't need to be at the top of a pyramid because the divine is everywhere, right? The divine shines forth wherever there is beauty and more. <laughs> and beauty anywhere is a prism of the eternal, refracting nirvana into our innermost selves, reality is a resonance between these many fields. Speaking of many, <laughs> uh, Paul has a big bundle of words and metaphors and stories for this holy goodness that shines forth to us or in us or through us. They're like distinct with their own flavor profiles, but uh, they are kind of of one total thing here. Uh, and they're, they're really related. So like we've got kingdom of God, another is new creation, another is this Jewish word shalom, another is divine homecoming, another is stories of liberation from exile or slavery, another is spirit, another is resurrection, another is life of the age to come. And often, you know, it's just as simple as light or life. So... What Paul says elsewhere is that when we place our fixations in that realm, we triangulate Jesus. We triangulate love or triunity. He, okay, he wouldn't say triunity, but you understand. <laughs> um, we find that we find that eternal taking on our flesh. That's how being human works. You know, I could spend several episodes running your hands over the seams and strings of the sacred tapestry how each part does and doesn't relate to or inform the others, but I'm already at like the 12-minute mark here. So suffice to say, Paul's got a huge pile of imagery uh, to use to explore the good, and spirit is one of them, like in this passage. And as the passage concludes, spirit is related to future. Spirit is related to 
resurrection. But I get ahead of myself. Because I got to mention that flesh is Paul's like, it's part of a big counter bundle to life and spirit. In that bundle would be flesh, death, accuser, shame, darkness, slavery, exile, sin, exclusion, ego, egoic systems, shadow, more. Now we get into trouble if we try to be precise <laughs> about each of those things mapping to actual objective realities. Um, and like any one part of either bundle, mapping it to an exact thing, uh, just be careful. Because you see, all language is metaphorical. And religious language is more palpably upfront about it. But some religious traditions and leaders teach us that it's, it's less metaphorical and it's more precisely pinned to reality. But no. All these words in the good-bad bundles here, uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're just, we got to hold them as metaphors. <laughs> but I digress. Um, it, it's, it's, I guess that's my nerdy disclaimer for saying this. Don't be fooled into believing you have these two natures that can't actually intermingle, flesh and spirit, inherent in you, warring for your will. Now, these are trajectories of your, of your uh, inner self, flesh and spirit. You're not a glass jar half full of the oil of flesh and half full of the water of spirit, but they can't actually commingle. Uh, no, like uh, the early Jesus movement actually split over thinking that that's what's going on in the human self. And that's what the um, divine material interaction point is like, oil and water. It's not. <laughs> you are one. A harmony of a resonance of diverse desires within you, but a harm, a single harmony all the same. To loop it back to the beginning of this episode, you are your fixations. You are, you are of your fixations. You are of your love. Because at your deepest level, you are a lover. Let's get to the point, Brandon. I've gone into the weeds here, right? Sure. So... Our impulses, our desires, our loves, they are tools meant to serve us well, to help us take care of ourselves and be well. Think of anxiety. It's like your body's alert system trying to change something about what's happening or what it thinks may be about to happen. And it kind of does it by like mashing the keyboard, right? That doesn't mean anxiety or the corresponding parts of your brain your amygdala or whatever, uh, is bad. It's, they're not. And they're not the flesh just because they create inner difficulty. So you don't need to suppress that. It's something trying to help you. Nah. Our inner tools to navigate reality, they can get formed tightly to our desires and our loves and our fears. The sets of fixations they snag on are maybe what we would call the flesh that desire to preserve at all costs, at the cost of the other. Maybe that's the flesh. Um, not, not that which is fixating, but that on which you fixate. That which is within you and meant for holy belonging is this good thing, but it instead takes on the form of the false and the foolish, 
our tribal ego attitudes taking control. And yeah, that totally leads to death. It totally does. Left to our own passivities, we succumb to the grave life of the flesh. Our violent delights have violent ends. Which is why Paul binds the alternative to the flesh, the spirit of the divine, to a future of boundless goodness, to cosmic tove, by way of the story of the resurrection of Jesus by that spirit. The resurrection with spirit bringing shalom, all is tove, into the present in a particular way. So also with being of spirit instead of flesh, a micro-resurrection within us of the divine tomorrow. And that divine tomorrow is Christ-like, is goodness embodied. It's of that bundle of loveliness I mentioned earlier. The spirit is that divine presence which imparts that future in the present, which creates, in turn, new futures. Because as we harmonize with the spirit through love, a divine tomorrow kindles within us. Our peaceful delights have peaceful ends. May it be so in these dark days with you. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Mm-hmm.